Pace Pace Mio Dio from Verdi's La Forza del Destino, as sung there by Renata Tebaldi in that live performance from January 23rd, 1956. My name is Adrian Fuchs, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to tonight's edition of Great Interpreters here on Fine Music Radio, and to my first new program, as it were, since I moved to New York approximately two months ago. It is indeed wonderful being back on the Fine Music Radio airwaves. The subject of tonight's edition of Great Interpreters is legendary soprano Renata Tebaldi, a singer of overwhelming expressivity and matchless vocal allure, and the possessor of arguably one of the most sumptuously beautiful lyrical spindle soprano voices of the 20th century. Before we continue with tonight's program, just a reminder that you can download a copy of this broadcast from my website on and off the record, www on and off the record.com. And if you have any questions, queries, or comments about tonight's program, please do contact me via email at adrian at on and off the record.com. I hope you'll enjoy the next two hours with me as we take an in depth look at the life and career of this remarkable artist. Renata Tebaldi was born on February 1st, 1922, in Pesaro, Italy the daughter of a cellist Teobaldo Tebaldi and Giuseppina Barbieri, a gifted vocalist. Their marriage, however, was an unhappy one, and the young couple split when Tebaldi was only three years old. Following the breakup, Giuseppina took the young Tebaldi and moved to live with her mother in her hometown of Langirano, outside Parma. At the age of three, Tebaldi awoke one morning and could hardly stand. The diagnosis was polio. She began various treatments injections, massages, thermal compressors and physical therapy that lasted five years and eventually proved successful, though the illness prevented her from walking until she was six years old and permanently weakened her right leg, which would inhibit her movements on stage later in her life. As a child, Tebaldi was drawn to the piano and she eventually enrolled at the conservatory in Parma to further her training. At the age of 17, however, her piano teacher persuaded her to study voice with Ettore Campogalliani, who would later recall her as a scrupulous, perceptive student with a passion for music, who kept a certain distance between herself and others. According to some, Tabaldi had to concentrate on scales and voice training for two years before she was allowed to learn her first arias and songs towards the end of her second year of studies. A Christmas holiday with her uncle in Pesaro resulted in a chance meeting with the renowned vocal pedagogue Carmen Melis, a former prima donna at La Scala, who eventually became her most important teacher. For the remainder of her holiday, Tebaldi worked with Melis. When she returned to Parma, the improvement was so drastic that no one believed it was the same voice and she subsequently made the decision to move to Pesaro permanently in order to continue her studies with Melis. Tebaldi's career fell into three distinct periods. The first, from the time of her professional debut in 1944, at the age of 22, in the smaller role of Elena in Boito's Mephistopheli at the Regional Theatre in Rovigo in Italy, until she joined the roster at the Metropolitan Opera in 1955, found her singing a wide repertory, ranging from Handel and Mozart to Verdi, Wagner and Puccini. As her career developed, Tebaldi's choice of repertoire became more focused, 
and though she had sung in approximately 36 operas, she is perhaps best remembered for what could be considered her quintessential Italian roles. Tosca, Manolesco, The Forza Leonora, Adriana Le Couvreur, Violetta, Desdemona, and of course, Madama Butterfly. Let's listen to Tibaldi singing the aria Porgi Amor from Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro, recorded here live during the early stages of her career in 1951 at the Auditorium in Turin, Italy. Carlo Maria Giulini conducts the Italian Radio Symphony Orchestra. A breakthrough came in 1946 
when Tabaldi appeared as Desdemona in Trieste, alongside Francesco Merli in Verdi's Otello. The performances were rapturously received, and the news that a wonderful new voice had appeared on the horizon spread like wildfire through Italy. Immediately, all the theatres opened their doors to me, Tabaldi noted, and it was thrilling for me that all the sacrifices my mother had made for me, she always would have preferred to see me married and settled, had not been in vain. Desdemona, until the end of my career, remained my favourite heroine, good-natured, the victim of love and jealousy, which knows no laws.
a glorious account there of the Ave Maria from Otello by Giuseppe Verdi, as sung by Renata Tebaldi in that 1961 recording with the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Herbert von Karajan. Another turning point in Tebaldi's career occurred again in 1946 when she auditioned for the legendary conductor Arturo Toscanini at La Scala in Milan. In an interview later in her life, she recalled her queasiness as she waited backstage before the audition, the fearsome presence of the gruff maestro, and finally his shouts of brava, brava, following her audition. Toscanini subsequently engaged Tobaldi to appear in a historic concert that marked the reopening of La Scala, which was badly damaged during the war. Tobaldi sang in La Scala's 1946-47 season as Margarita in Faust, Elena in Mephistopheles, and in Lohengrin. The following year, she appeared in La Bohème and as Eva in Die Meisterzinger. Between 1949 and 1954, she appeared regularly at La Scala, singing numerous lyrical spinto roles. In 1950, Toscanini requested that Tobaldi appear as a soloist in a special concert performance of Verdi's Requiem and Tedeum. It was during one of the rehearsals that preceded the concert where an important part of the Tibaldi legend was born, for it is Toscanini who is often quoted as having stated that Tibaldi possessed the voice of an angel, Voce d'Angelo, that has often been used in referring to Tibaldi. In Tibaldi's own words, however, this was somewhat of a misnomer, since the maestro decided that I should sing the E natural in the Tedeum as if it came from heaven, and for this reason he had me placed way above the chorus. The story got around and still persists today that the maestro had declared that I had the voice of an angel. Here now is an extract from the Libera Me from that historic performance of the Verdi Requiem given at La Scala on 26th of June 1950. Toscanini conducts the orchestra and chorus of La Scala Milan.
Toscanini was also influential in helping to determine Tibaldi's early repertoire choices, most notably the role of Aida, which turned out to be the vehicle for her debut in the United States. Toscanini asked me about my repertoire and if I sang Aida, she recalled. I replied that I did not, as I felt it belonged to the dramatic soprano Fach. He explained that he felt I could sing the role, taking certain precautions, and said that he would show me, and he did. He was absolutely extraordinary, for he sang the entire part himself, giving me precious advice. And so I did agree to sing it at La Scala in 1950, and, amusingly enough, when I left because of other commitments, it was Maria Callas who took over, making her debut in Milan.
Aida's famous O Patria Mia from Verdi's opera, as sung there by Renata Tebaldi in that recording from May 9, 1950. Perhaps more so than any other singer of the 20th century, Tebaldi was known for the velvety richness of her voice, which critics have often described in terms ranging from warm to sumptuous to glowing, velvety, and even womanly. Her special glory, as many commentators have noted, was her ability to sing floated pianissimo high notes, seemingly without effort. She also possessed the remarkable gift of being able to move from one register to another with little perceptible shift in the quality of her singing, and she always honoured the score with scrupulous care for dynamics. According to Patrick O'Connor in Gramophone magazine, Tabaldi stood out in the 1950s as the standard bearer for an old-fashioned Italian style of singing, which was firmly rooted in the traditions of the 1920s and 1930s, a style of vocal production that can be recognized through recordings by Claudia Muzio, Gina Cigna, and Maria Caniglia. According to O'Connor, Tebaldi's was the type of voice we hardly ever hear today, a lyric soprano that is anchored in a splendid, contralto-like lower register that seems to act as the launch pad for high notes that were of such power that studio technicians had to instruct her to turn away from the microphones every time a climatic phrase was approaching. Though Tebaldi sang on stage with the leading tenors of her time, Bergonzi, Di Stefano, Dalmonaco, Corelli, Tucker, Krauss, and eventually Domingo, who was often her partner in the late 1960s, on disc, she was most often paired with Mario Del Monaco, their partnership being set up by Deca to rival EMI's Calas di Stefano pairing. According to O'Connor, however, no matter how sophisticated the recording, great, luxurious voices such as Tabaldi's can never really be contained by records, and her emotion-packed but more generalized interpretations have been accused by some as coming across as bland on recordings. Paul Jackson, for example, in his monumental study of the Metropolitan Opera broadcasts, wrote that one is often beguiled into acquiescence as that glorious voice streams forth, but one's interest can wane by the end of a Tabaldi performance. Of her various famous roles, another critic stated, In the end, they always come out Tabaldi. O'Connor also notes that recording engineers were never able to capture the beauty of Tibaldi's soft singing, something which reviewers in the 1950s commented on again and again, and even at such an obvious moment as the climax of Adriana Lecouvreur's Yusson Lumile Ancella, one misses the expected floating quality. On both her studio recordings of La Bohème, the final note of the Act One duet seems to be a problem. But turn to her live performances of this duet, and one hears what she could achieve here. It is exactly as she describes it herself in an interview. The voice and breathing are like a glass, containing a drop of oil floating on water. The oil does not drop into the water, it remains floating.
You Son Lumile Ancella from Adriana Le Couvreur, as sung by Renata Tebaldi. The orchestra of the San Francisco Opera Association was conducted by Gaetano Merola in this 1950 recording. From 1955 until 1963, Tebaldi's career was centered mainly in the United States, where she found her greatest professional pleasure. In San Francisco, where she made her American debut in 1950, in Chicago, but especially in New York, she would go on to sing some 270 performances at the Metropolitan Opera, a house where she considered herself La Regina, the Queen. What about Rudolf Pink? Oh, this for me is the most great manager in the theater, I mm-hmm. must say. I was too happy to work at the Metropolitan because the discipline bed was like a, a military uh, life. Is that good? Oh, fantastic. Because, you know, many, many people and very great names that work in the same moment in Adimate. Yes. La, la, la legge era uguale per tutti, come si dice in italiano. The law the is the same for everyone. Yeah. E lui ha proprio fatto questa And he, he managed to do that. Fantastic work. Yes, with all of them. Yes. Well, with so many stars and, let's yeah. face it, so many no. egos. Sometimes it's very difficult it's not easy. <laughs> to manage. Not easy. <laughs> he came to San Francisco yes. to hear me in, a, in AIDA when I make my debut in uh, San Francisco in 1950. Yes. And he, uh, come si dice, ha volato. She take a plane from yes. New York he flew to, yeah, from New York, from New York to, San to San Francisco to see, to hear me. Yes. And uh, he offered immediately to me a contract, an agreement. And I say, no, please, when is the time? I want that my name was in the cartellone, officially. In the program. You know? yeah. yeah. Not yeah, like a guest. You wanted to come on to your come, own terms. Yes, yes, yes. And he, he obliged. Yeah. And uh, finally in 19, uh, 19, uh, um, 54, he came to Milano and asked, uh, you think that maybe the band is ready to come to the Met? And uh, my manager said, yes, I think so. And we make an agreement and yes. in 1955 I make my debut at the Met. You must have known that he was talking about your iron dimples. Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> because when Tebaldi say no, it's not. <laughs> Tebaldi's much-anticipated Met debut as Desdemona in Verdi's Otello, took place in January 1955. Appearing alongside her was a veritable dream cast that included Mario del Monaco as Otello and Leonard Warren as Iago. In 1957, Tebaldi's mother passed away at the age of 68. Tebaldi was devastated. Her mother had been an immense pillar of support throughout her career and had travelled with her constantly, accompanying her on all her tours and acting as a backstage buffer for her daughter. She did this so effectively that fellow singers affectionately nicknamed her the Carabinieri. She handled Tibaldi's mail, weeding out the occasional poison pen letters from overzealous Callas fans, took care of her clothes and costumes, stationed herself in the wings to minister Tibaldi with a thermos jug of warm tea and an emergency flask of brandy when she came off stage, and before every performance, she joined Tebaldi in her dressing room for a few moments of prayer. Tebaldi would later recall the sympathy, so affectionately and deeply felt, of her New York fans when her mother died suddenly in Manhattan and she had to cancel her entire season of performances at the Met. I was destroyed by her loss, noted Tebaldi. We were so terribly close. She had sacrificed her entire life for me. It took me a long time to overcome the shock. And when I returned the following season, the ovation that greeted me was absolutely overwhelming. 
I knew that everyone in that theatre loved me, and it is wonderful to know that there can be such deep affection from strangers. Apart from opera, your mother was your entire life. Her death must have been a shattering experience for you. She started to be not good in the in Chicago in 1957. And after Chicago, we got to New York. And she was really most worst. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called Mr. Bing and I said to him, uh, excuse me, but I think it's impossible for me to sing the performance that I have to sing at the Metropolitan because my mother doesn't feel well. In about 10 days, she began to be well and well and well. And so finally, I say to myself, why I don't call Mr. Bing and say to him, just Mama is better. I can do the performance on Saturday broadcast of AIDA, Friday night. Mama began to be very, very sick. And at five o'clock in the morning, she died. And it was really something terrible that happened to me. And uh, I never forget the um, Cardinal Spellman that take care of everything. The church was full of people. And the, the, in, something incredible. There is somebody that take a movie, but I... Never. No. I don't want to see it because it's really something that's too much. But in the same time, I cannot forget this. American people, what, what they do, the demonstration. Because everybody knows, Mama Giuseppina, they call Mama. No, no, Tebaldi mother, but Mama Giuseppina for everyone. So she was your inspiration the, the day you were born, probably. Yes. When my mother died, I, I said, I don't want to do anything anymore. I want to stop my career. I stop everything. Just if my life was finished, too. But, you know, there is the, the friend of mine and all my fans that gave me the courage mm-hmm. to go. Let's go on. I,
During the 1950s, Tibaldi endured a public rivalry with Maria Callas, a feud which was actively fueled by publicists and an eager press. Biographies of the two divas present contrary accounts of who started the supposed feud and how it started, though most sources agree that the trouble began in 1951, when both singers appeared together on the same program in Rio de Janeiro. According to reports, Tibaldi slipped in several encores, in flagrant violation, Carlos claimed, of a no-encore agreement. While the media happily played the two singers off of one another, the idea that they were artistic opposites, Kalas the galvanizing dramatic artist and Tabaldi the supreme vocalist who valued beauty of sound above all else, was wrong-headed. In roles like Violetta or Amina, Kalas could sing with vocal elegance and vulnerability, while in roles like Aida and Tosca, Tabaldi could be impetuous. At the height of the rivalry during the mid-1950s, Kalas was quoted as having stated in a Time magazine interview, My admiration of Dibaldi is of the fullest, and I am happy for her success. If I hear her sing well, I am the first to cheer her. But I live in another world. She is a vocalist of a certain repertoire, and I of another. If the time comes when Dibaldi will sing Norma or Lucia or Anna Bolena one night, then La Traviata or Gioconda or Medea the next, then and only then will we be rivals. Otherwise, it is like comparing champagne with cognac. No, champagne with Coca-Cola. On the other hand, according to Lanfranco Rasponi, Tibaldi always spoke admiringly of Callas. During the three decades I have known Tibaldi, he wrote in his book The Last Prima Donnas, never once have I heard her admit that there had ever been a feud, although she was fully conscious that the attendant publicity would be fantastic. Callas is flamboyant and thrives on this sort of thing, Tibaldi once said. I am not, and I don't feel I need any of this. I can stand on my own accomplishments. I have my public, and she has hers. There is enough space for both of us, to each her own. According to Rasponi, Tibaldi talked about Callas with utter serenity and a pity that was totally sincere. Maria marked an era. No one can take that away from her, Tibaldi was reported as saying. She insisted on singing everything and did. Now everyone wants to do likewise. This rivalry was really building uh, from uh, the, the people of the newspaper and the fans. But I think that was very good for, for both of us. Because the publicity was so big. And, uh, and they created a very, a very big interest about uh, me and, uh, and, and Maria. And was very good in the end. But um, I don't know why they put this kind of a rivality because the voice was very different. She was really something and unusually. And uh, I, I remember that I, I was very young artist too. And uh, I, I, I stayed near to the radio every time that uh, I know that uh, was something in the radio uh, by Maria. Because the, the most uh, um, fantastic thing was when the, the possibility for her to sing the soprano coloratura with this big voice. And this was really, was, it was really something very special. Fantastic, absolutely. Tibaldi has often said that Puccini was her favorite composer. She recorded La Boheme, Madame Butterfly and Louis in Turandot twice recorded all three soprano parts in Il Tritico, 
and their title roles in Manolesco and La Fanchula del West. Of her numerous recordings, her favorite, however, was Butterfly. Uh, which are the recordings of yours that move you most, that make you cry yes. and get sentimental? Uh, butterfly, George Osan. Oh, this for sure. It's Butterfly that makes me cry and cry and cry almost the time. From the fr- first act, like to the end. And uh, another one is uh, Manon Lescaut, Puccini Manon Lescaut, because I love Puccini. I love Verdi, but uh, maybe more Puccini, because that gives me the possibility to the interpretation, more sincere. Well, you mentioned uh, three Puccini <laughs> operas. That seems to indicate that uh, Puccini is something special for okay. you. Yes, yes. I started to sing uh, uh, Verdi. The great Verdi. And after I discovered Puccini, I was in love with me immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, for your music, for uh, the interpretation that is possible to do in each opera of Puccini.
Butterfly's death scene, Con Unor Muore, leading into Tu 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 Piccolo Idio from Puccini's Madama Butterfly, as sung there by Renata Tebaldi. Another Puccini heroine, Tosca, would become the role Tebaldi sang most often at the Met, a total of 45 times, and it is not difficult to understand why. The extract that I'd like to play to you is the final section of Act 3, taken from a live Metropolitan Opera performance from January 7, 1956, conducted by Dimitri Mitropoulos, with Tebaldi as Floria Tosca, Richard Tucker as Mario Cavaradossi, and Leonard Warren as Scarpia. Tebaldi has often been accused of being less dramatic than Callas, but she certainly was capable of sudden, vehement dramatic outbursts that can sound as if they were coming from another voice. As Patrick O'Connor points out, on disc it can be disconcerting, while in the theatre it must have been thrilling. The singing of Tosca is so passionate, yes. so demanding. How do you control your voice so not to affect and, and tire your, your voice? When you are sure about your technica, you can sing whatever you want, you see. And even when you are in the stage, you must relax sometimes. You must feel something in your, in your uh, inside of you. And this is, I think, this beautiful. You have to. And the people immediately know if you are sincere or not. If you do something like this because you want to do like this, but you don't feel inside. If you cry because you cry and that you feel inside to cry, the people immediately cut this and understand.
Oh, Mario! 
often overlooked, Tibaldi's contributions to another of Puccini's works, his set of three one-act operas, Il Tritico, are remarkable. Though she never sang these roles on stage, Tibaldi's voice seems exactly right for both Giorgetta in Il Tabaro and Suar Angelica. Here is her extraordinary account of the final moments of Suar Angelica, in which she goes straight to the heart with a performance of searing emotional intensity.
Though a dedicated artist, Tobaldi avoided singing in any language other than Italian, deeming French too nasal and German too guttural, and reportedly because she feared compromising the beauty of her sound in her native tongue. But what she considered cautiousness, some critics thought represented complacency. Diction, as far as I am concerned, is of capital importance, she stated. That is why I never appeared in any of my Wagnerian roles in the United States, as quite rightly so, these operas are done in German. In Italy, I appeared often as Eva, Elisabeth, and Elsa, another part that suited my instrument and nature, but I never felt I was up to doing these roles in German, for my diction in that language leaves much to be desired. In fact, even in the hundreds of recitals I gave, an activity I followed with enormous satisfaction after I left opera, I never dared make excursions into Lieder. Tebaldi never undertook a role unless she felt it appropriate for her voice and temperament. Young singers today, she once declared, think of what was my profession in a manner that to us, of the preceding generation, is totally incomprehensible. Discipline was our credo, and the everyday preoccupation was not to sing roles that might force our instruments. Our ambition was to be able to sing for a period of at least 30 years, it was a question of deep pride and also a profound attachment to our art. Those who have taken our place will sing anything and everything. A coloratura wants to sing Norma? No problem. A mezzo wishes to sing the Druid Priestess? Also fine. Seraphin begged me to take six months off and prepare Norma with him, and I replied, But there is Kalas, who does it so well. It doesn't matter, he answered. You will sing it with your voice. It'll be your Norma but I can guarantee you it will be a huge success. But not even Seraphin, whose judgment about voices was unsurpassed, was able to change my mind. You had no hesitation about singing a demanding role like Tosca, yet your sense of humility seems to have prevented you from singing the role of Norma. The Maestro Seraphin asked me many, many times why you don't sing Norma. Why you don't sing Norma? Keep six months just for you, and I coach Norma every day. And they say, no, Maestro, I think that I'm not ready to sing Norma. For this sense of humility that was almost the time in, in, mm-hmm. in me. And now the humility seems to me that uh, doesn't have any significato anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm very simple woman. Just I want to have everything it's uh, necessary to have. No, no much, no more. Do you like being a prima donna or being called a prima donna? It's not necessarily somebody say to you that you are a prima donna because you are born prima donna.
Vanita from Verdi's Don Carlo, as sung there by Renata Tebaldi in that 1964 recording, with Oliviero de Fabritis conducting the New Philharmonia Orchestra. Not even her staunchest supporters would claim that Tebaldi was a great or even a highly gifted actress. A tall, ample woman, it is said that she generally moved through her roles with, as one Times article reported, a kind of stolid and unvarying grace that sometimes reduced the opera's garish hued passions into a decorator's cool blues and whites. In her occasional attempts to introduce visual fire to her performances, she inclined to what one critic called the battering ram approach. In a well-documented performance of Madame Butterfly, for example, after having committed suicide, Tibaldi flung the knife resoundingly to the floor and died somewhat grotesquely, crawling the width of the stage in response to Pinkerton's thrice-called butterfly. But her real failing, say her harshest critics, is not one of stagecraft, but of emotional involvement. While some observers recall her on the verge of tears after a performance of Butterfly, others remember her picking herself up after the death scene in Traviata and strolling into the wings humming a pop tune. Let me ask you... Uh, as as an artist, in trying to balance your gifts, not only as a singer, but as a dramatic person on stage, how much more important is the voice as opposed to the acting? Both. In a role, for instance, like Tosca, where acting yeah. is very important. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think this, the very important thing is the interpretation. Yeah. 
because you can uh, go do no, give to the people the exactly sensation that you feel in your side. And uh, I think it's very important thing. It's not uh, just uh, enough to sing, because the most important thing for me is not just voice and the technical, the vocal technical, but uh, what uh, I feel I was I have in my my own and I in, in dentro di me. No, Inside soprattutto era, very, era molto importante the interpretation. The interpretation, yes. above all. Yes, yes. And, and I think that this is very important because the people receive the message and, and they, they don't forget. But there was another side to the Tabaldi personality, a kind of naive stubbornness that no amount of argumentation could shake. And occasionally she allowed her well-reined temper to show. One opera manager who worked with both Callas and Tabaldi found that he would rather face Callas's furies than Tabaldi's smile with its dimples of iron. A vocal crisis in 1963, compounded by exhaustion, compelled Tabaldi to take a year off, during which she recuperated and reworked her technique. She returned to the stage in 1964 using a darker range of vocal colors and which led to one of the outstanding successes of her career, the title role of Ponchielli's La Gioconda, a role in which she appeared more than 30 times at the Metropolitan Opera.
It wasn't long, however, before the vocal difficulties surfaced again, and even her most ardent fans had to concede that her voice had lost some of its legendary luster. By 1970, Tabaldi's new voice was showing signs of coming apart, the hefty chest register not altogether making up for an increasingly perilous sound above the stave. Strident, full-voiced top notes, when the vocal line took her above high B-flat, as well as occasional lapses in pitch, became frequent. It's an interesting historical fact that Tobaldi began and ended her Metropolitan Opera career with the same role. Rudolf Bing introduced her to the New York public in 1955 as an unforgettable Desdemona opposite Mario del Monaco. In 1973, she sang her final performances at the Met, again as Desdemona, with James McCracken in the title role, Cheryl Mills as Iago, and a young James Levine conducting. Thereafter, Tibaldi sang only in recitals. In January 1976, she made it halfway through a recital at Carnegie Hall, which she assumed would be her farewell to New York. She had to stop, Rudolf Bing told the audience on her behalf, because she was too emotional. A month later, however, she tried again, and sang the concert, complete with six encores, to tumultuous ovation, though her singing was still shaky. She had the wisdom to retire later that year, at the age of 54, leaving the public with memories, as Sir Georg Salty wrote in his memoirs, full of vocal bloom. Tibaldi had a long and productive relationship with the Decca Recording Company, and over the course of her career left classic accounts of major roles in complete recordings of Otello, La Forza del Destino, Andrea Chinier, La Boheme, Tosca, Madama Butterfly and Il Trovatore, among many others. Asked during a 1995 interview how she felt about her discography, she said, I cry when I hear the records. She added, Now I understand what happened during my performances. I feel the same thing, not because I know I am Renata Tibaldi, but because I can be objective. Singing always came first for Tibaldi. She never married and had no children, Yet for a 1995 biography, she openly discussed several romances, a youthful attachment with a handsome medical student to whom she was briefly engaged, a light-hearted relationship with Nicola Rossi-Lemeni, the renowned bass, and most significantly, an intense romance with the conductor Arturo Basile, a hardy and generous man who was in the last phase of a deteriorating marriage when he and Tibaldi began their four-year relationship in 1958. In a 1995 interview with the Times, Tibaldi said she had no regrets about her single life. I was in love many times, she said, this is very good for a woman. But she added, how could I have been a wife, a mother, and a singer? Who takes care of the piccolini when you go around the world? Your children would not call you mama, but Renata. Uh, now, in your days of retirement, the pressures are off. Yes. How is your life? Is it serene? Is it happy? Yes, happy and serene, what do you say? And now uh, I enjoy uh, my, my home, my, the company of my very good friends. And uh, I hear, hear my, my record, mm-hmm. and not before. <laughs> Just when I start yeah. to sing, I start to hear my Bring record. Yes. And I cry, like the people do it. During the, my performance, and now I understand why this people, uh, this pe- people was absolutely uh, crazy about me. Now I understand very well, you know, you know, because I cried myself. Well, it's about time. Yeah, it's about time. <laughs>
floated high notes, an evenly produced voice throbbing with emotion, warmth and fullness of sound, that glorious timbre and generosity of soul were all part of what made Tabaldi great. As Patrick O'Connor points out, there is a grandeur and solidity about her performances from which singers and listeners alike can learn a great deal. Just as spontaneity and charm can't really be taught, neither can sincerity. Tibaldi said that when she sang, she felt as if she was speaking with each person present in the theatre. Tibaldi will be remembered as one of the great sopranos of the 20th century, and, as Manuela Hulterhoff recalls in her book Cinderella and Company Backstage with Cecilia Bartoli, as a singer who built empires out of sound, a soprano so spellbinding that she transformed the ordinary notes available to everybody into the stuff of memory. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Great Interpreters. Playing us out tonight is Renata Tabaldi singing Visi d'Arte from Puccini's Tosca, with Francesco Molinari Pradelli conducting the Santa Cecilia Academy Orchestra in Rome in this 1959 recording. Remember that you can download tonight's broadcast from On and Off the Record, www.onandofftherecord.com. And should you wish to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at adrian at onandofftherecord.com. I hope you'll join me again on October 25th for a program on baritone Tito Gobi. From myself, Adrian Fuchs, thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend.